Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. Well, Merry Christmas, and we're excited to be here. I'm excited to be here. This is a a Christmas season, and it is the opportunity for us to celebrate the birth of Jesus And I was thinking this morning that as we celebrate Christmas and as we uh, look forward to a Christmas Eve service and we look forward to all the family coming in and all of the events and the good food that we enjoy and all of the things that happen at Christmas, I was thinking, you know, as you get older, not that I'm that old, but I am a little older, As you get older, you think about all of the Christmases you celebrate and how each and every year that you come to this time of the year, it is still amazing. It is still captivating. It is still filled with wonder, the idea that Jesus came and was born in a manger. And as we look at the event of Christmas, even though we've probably thought about it and heard about it and celebrated it for almost a month every year, of course, uh, the, the stores are celebrating it two months before, you know, that's all right. Uh, but as we've celebrated it year after year, I am convinced that if we stop and ponder this event, it is the beginning of Uh, the high point of God's plan of salvation, sending his son into the world. And there are so many things that happen around the Christmas season. Certainly, as we began, and I think about bringing a message this morning at Christmas time, I could think of, we could think of many places in the New Testament where we could pull out events that describe Christmas to us. We could think of the census being taken. We could think of Joseph being required to travel to his hometown. All of these events are captured in Scripture. We could read the text that tells us about the shepherds being sung to by a heavenly choir, by a choir of angels announcing the birth of Jesus. We hear and know of many of these events recounting the uh, Christmas events is kind of the thing that we do. And for the, for, the, for the most part, many people know these events. I remember going to various churches, and, and I know there's one in town, been to it several times, where you walk through kind of a recreation of Bethlehem and all of the events of the Christmas story. And as we look at those things, they are wonderful gifts to us. They are, uh, in some way, they're surprises to us. That these simple things, these humble beginnings, these small events that weren't known on a world stage really happened in an obscure place in the Middle East for what seemed like a very small audience. And yet the significance of those events have become known all over the world. The significance of those events continue to change the lives of people. 
And it has changed my life. It has changed the lives of people who are part of this church. It has changed the lives of people who have encountered the living Jesus. And it all started with all of these things. You know, the wondrous accounts of Joseph and Mary trying to find a place to stay and ending up in a barn or stable and putting Jesus in the manger. All of these things. And the whole season is filled with wonder, you know, good food and family, time off of work. We get to celebrate time. We travel. All of these things. And my concern is that sometimes we go through the season and we are reminded of these stories and we're, uh, we remember and enjoy and celebrate the things of Christmas, the giving of gifts, the sharing of time. And we never really think about the earth-shattering work of God in the midst of those things. My concern is that we know the story, but we don't know the meaning of it. And so this morning, I'm going to jump around at a couple of different verses, just so that we think about the meaning of the story. That is, what was happening behind the events of Christmas. What should fill all of the simple encounters and descriptions of that first Christmas with so much meaning? And that is what God was doing in the midst of those simple things. And sometimes we have a hard time believing that. But I hope that as we think about it again today, that we'll be reminded of how significant they are. And so I would like to bring out three passages of Scripture. One of them is longer, two of them are fairly short. And think about them. And the first one is in First uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 14. It's interesting that uh, uh, years ago in Europe, uh, we as Americans always read the account of Jesus' birth and the events of his life from the Gospels like Matthew or Luke. Uh, because we get more of the story. But it was common to read John, the first chapter, first 14 verses, as the Christmas story in Europe. And so we're going to read that passage this morning. And as we prepare to do that, I want us to see that God is coming to us in Jesus Starting at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a certain man from God whose name was John. He came as a, test, uh, as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, 
but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children, born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It is unfortunate that thoughtful people find great difficulty in the story of Jesus. They find the realities of the birth of Jesus and all the events of his life hard to believe. And indeed, it is challenging to human understanding. But it is sad that many stay away from faith because of these questions. And some of those questions have to do with, is Jesus as significant as the Bible claims? We proclaim that there was an atonement made by Jesus, that he came into the world and that he lived a perfect sinless life and that he taught us about who God was. Then he went to the cross and gave his life on the cross. He was killed by the first century people. And that God took that sacrifice as a substitute for the sins of the world, if we believe. But oh, this is a stumbling block to so many. Or take the resurrection. Some think that Jesus story of his life and his death and then going into the tomb and then coming out of the tomb is too fantastic. It's hard to believe. They, they would rather believe anything else but a resurrection. They would believe and say that every other explanation is more palatable, is more meaningful than a real resurrection. Or take the virgin birth. Many in our day, even evangelicals, are having trouble with the virgin birth and don't think it is essential for the message of the gospel and the story of Jesus. Or take the miracles that happened in the Bible. They often say that there would be a reason to believe that God, that Jesus performed some healings, but some of the fantastic miracles he did like walking on water or feeding 5,000 or raising the dead. Those are just too incredible. They have to be made up. And with these questions, they stay in unbelief. But the fact that the real difficulty begins much earlier. The fact is, the real difficulty begins here as we read in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then, of course, you hear of that Word being the light of life. And that light came into the world, and in the world there was darkness, and now the light has come. And then in verse 14 it says, the Word took on flesh and lived amongst us, and we beheld his glory. What we have trouble with in the story of Jesus through the miracles and through the resurrection and through his death 
is only a small portion compared to what is proposed here, what is described to us here in the first part of John. Because what we really see here is Jesus, God, the Word, becoming flesh. And if Jesus is the Word, if God is the one who comes into our world, that really changes the whole trajectory of everything. For we would not doubt that God can make someone whole again when he created everything. We would not doubt that God could reverse death for someone. We would not doubt that he could feed 5,000 when he called the creation into existence. So when we hear of Jesus coming into the world, and that it was the word who was with God, who took on flesh, if we get that and understand that first, all those other questions seem to fall away. Because it's only God himself who could die for the world. And that be counted worthy to cover the sins of all mankind. So as we turn to this message and we think about who Jesus is and who was that in the, the cradle, in the manger, it is not strange that the author of life should raise people from the dead. And in fact, what is more strange is that the author of life, the Son of God, would be able to die himself. But in fact, that is what has happened. Charles Wesley catches this, captures this in his song, And Can It Be? Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Jesus, God's son, one of the persons of the Trinity comes into this world. And it's not that he turns the world upside down in some miraculous moment where there is change all over the world. It is that he turns the world upside down by the display of his presence and his life. And that he conquers death and he conquers sin And that it's God himself, the light of life that we see in Jesus. The coming of God as a man is in itself unfathomable as a mystery that we can't wrap our minds around. It is something that causes us to wonder and ponder at year after year. The New Testament contains the assertion that this one, Jesus, the Son of God, was born on a miraculous day and has done and accomplished all things that needed to be done for the redemption of the world. This is God coming to us. This is life given to us. Jesus is our life. So first we see that God has come to us in Jesus. Second, I'd like us to look at 1 John in the back of the Bible, just before Revelation. And look at 1 John 3.16. 1 
another text that tells us something about Jesus coming into the world. It's not particularly about the events, but the meaning of his coming. This is how we know the love, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. What we see here is God coming to us in Jesus in love. And it is a display of his grace and his goodness to us. The world around us is not sure if love is real. Many think that in our day that love is just a physical response, a, a, a reaction of the brain, part of the, the chemical system of our body, our hormones, our glands. Everything about us is the result of just these natural processes. There is no soul, there is no spirit, there is no physical you or me. There is only physical you and me. And they say that the feelings of love are just chemical responses and processes in the brain. It's the conditioning of our history and our experience that makes us value love. But there is a different, different way of looking at this. I know that people say that love isn't real, that all we are is a physical being, and once we die, we just end up in the grave, and that's the end of it. And that our loves and our experiences and our emotions are just patterns of physical response. But nobody lives that way. Nobody really values things that way. We love one another. We love our families. We long for those things that give us an eternal anchor on what is real and what is lasting. And so even though we try to give an explanation that everything about love is just chemical processes and it doesn't go beyond just what we see and we feel and we experience, we know in our heart of hearts we desire for there to be something everlasting, something that is eternal. And because of this, Christianity is powerful. Because in the birth of Jesus, we see the expression of God's love to us. And in the birth of Jesus is a promise that love is real and that love is everlasting. And there is an eternal hope. And we can find life there. Because Christmas proves that love did not just happen as a process of the brain or chemical reactions. But love pre-existed the world, created the world. And love is redeeming the world. At the heart of the story of Jesus coming into our broken world, we see that Jesus is the answer. He is the one that makes things right. He is the one that is reversing the curse. He is the one that is restoring all things. And by his coming into the world, we see the demonstration of the love of God. Think back in the first part of the first chapter of John, which we read, and we see that through Jesus, through the word, the whole world was made. 
And out of the relationship between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, there is an expression of abundance of life and blessing and goodness and love and joy. See, as we compare the Christian message with all other religions, there is always this singular God who is is kind of by himself. He's a single entity. And to have an expression of love requires that there be another person. Because love by its essence is a valuing of somebody else or something else. And what we learn about in the New Testament is that God is three persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And, it, and these three persons make up the one Godhead. And they were totally happy. They were self-existent. They were joyous. And they loved one another. And out of that relationship sprang the, the willingness and the desire to create, to make life, to spread love. And so when God created creation, when he made us as his creatures in his image, it wasn't out of some need that he had for, him, for himself. He didn't need us to fulfill him. He didn't need us to complete him in any way. But because there was great joy and relationship and community in the Godhead, God's love and abundance sprang out and overflowed into making a creation and making creatures who reflect who he is, who are made in his image to be what God planned and intended for them to to be recipients of God's love and God's community. That we would be part of what he is. And we went our own way. We rejected that call of God, that plan, that purpose of God. And we followed our own rebellious way and sin entered into the world. But out of the abundance of that love in God, Jesus came to redeem for himself a people. To restore and bring forgiveness and grace to anyone who would believe and trust in this one Savior. Christmas proves that love is real. Christmas shows us that God is restoring creation. And that God out of his divine community, his glorious being, himself as love, we are benefiting from that love. The world came out of love. And love is redeeming the world too. Everything about the Christmas story, everything about God in Christ redeeming for himself a people is about a love story. It was not a response of the brain. No, love was before the world was created. Love created the world. And now love is redeeming the world in Jesus. Why did God come to earth? Why did God go to all this trouble to step into our world? I don't know if you uh, remember the story. I don't remember the story. I read the story. Uh, 
1961, there was the, the race to conquer space. And in 1961, the, the Russian government had an astronaut and an astronaut program. And uh, they sent a Russian astronaut into orbit around the Earth. It was the first time that anyone had ever circled the Earth in space. Everybody was excited about it. The Russians were very excited about it. Even Americans were excited about it. Everybody was thrilled what was taking place in 1961 with space exploration. But on the occasion of this astronaut coming back, it's Yaren Garrigan. On the occasion of his coming back to the earth and, and kind of getting all the accolades of Russia, Khrushchev, the president of Russia, speaking about this astronaut and what he accomplished in circling the earth, but also being the leader of an atheistic country, in one of his speeches said that Gergen was orbiting the earth and he did not see God up there. Therefore, we have more evidence for atheism now than we did before that trip around the earth. It's interesting that C.S. Lewis was alive at that time and, and he heard these comments by the Russian president. So Lewis wrote a little book, a little essay called The Seeing Eye, in which he said, think about it, everyone. If there was a God, we as humans wouldn't relate to him as if he lived on the, on the second floor of a building. As if we live on the first floor and God lives on the second floor. And Khrushchev was mistaken in thinking that all we need to do is go up to the second floor and look around and we can find out if God is real or not. The truth is, if there is a God who is the creator, we would relate to him as Shakespeare related to Hamlet. You see, Shakespeare created Hamlet. And the only way Hamlet could know anything about Shakespeare is if, if Shakespeare writes something about himself into the play. Hamlet is not going to find out about Shakespeare by being on stage and then going up into the rafters and looking around in the next, you know, next scene. He won't find Shakespeare up there. The only way that Hamlet could know anything about Shakespeare is if Shakespeare communicated something to the play to Hamlet in the play. Only if the creator writes something into the play about himself will the characters know the creator. And Lewis said, ah, God did something better than just write some information into the story. He sent his own son. He came to communicate to us. There is another situation similar to that. Dorothy L. Sayers was an accomplished writer of mystery novels. She is also one of the first women to receive a degree from Oxford when they began to give out degrees to women. And she was also well known for writing novels, mystery novels. 
And in one of her famous, in a series of her famous novels, which were about Lord Peter Whimsey, she wrote about him being an aristocrat, being a a uh, solver of mysteries. He was the key figure in her stories. And in the middle of the series of novels and all these short stories about Lord Whimsey, he was a single man. And over a long period of time, she began to have an affection for Lord Whimsey. And she began to write into the stories a figure, Harriet Vane. And the interesting thing about Harriet Vane is that she wasn't particularly good looking. And she was the first woman who ever graduated from Oxford. Also, she looked at this man. Oh, she also was a... Surprisingly, a writer of mystery stories. She looked at this man in her stories, whom she had created, and she wrote herself into the story because she fell in love with the man she had written about in the story. Isn't that a sweet thing? Isn't that moving? Of course it's moving. But what we find in the gospel is the same kind of story. Where God created us from the beginning of time. He made us for a plan and purpose. He desired to shower us with his love, which he experienced in community with himself. And to pour that out upon us in blessing and and community. And we went our own way. But because he loved us, He still pursued us. And he wrote himself into the story. And that story is about Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is pure, who is blameless, who is holy without spot and without blemish, who is in community with God the Father, who came into this broken world to turn this broken world upside down. So that we could join in the community of the Godhead. Experience the grace and the love that he has. Christmas story is one where our creator has actually walked into our world. The God who knows us. The God who loves us. The God who knows we are broken sent his son into the world to restore and to redeem He came to live the life we should have lived. He came to die the death we should have died. And he came to heal the broken barrier between us and God by his life and by his sacrifice so that we could know love. When we think about what Jesus has done for us at this time of year, we think about his birth, we think about his love, his love for us, that he came into a broken world to turn it upside down. That is the meaning behind Christmas. Third and lastly, I'd like us to look at Second Corinthians chapter 8.
There's a lot of verses that tell us about the coming of Jesus. This one is one that, verse uh, chapter 8, verse 9, this one speaks a great deal about God's intention in Jesus. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So we think about the wonder of Jesus. We think about all of the verses that speak to us about the coming of Jesus. We must look at this passage and see that just as in, a, in just a profound way that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son. Or First John, John chapter 1, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Just as significantly, this passage tells us something about the meaning of Christmas. For we know the grace of We know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. We know the wealth and the joy and the community and the life he had as the second person of the Godhead in his eternal state before the creation of the world. And he stepped down and came into this world taking on poverty so that we could become rich. Listen to the words of Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 out of the message. And the message is not a study Bible, but sometimes it brings to light some of the things that we should hear. He had an equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredible, humbling process. He didn't claim special, special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death and the worst kind of death at that, crucifixion. And all this was for our salvation. The Son of God emptied himself and became poor. Meant that he laid aside all the glory that he had. He restrained his power. He accepted the hardships and isolation, ill treatment, the malice, the misunderstanding of living in this world. And then finally went to death. Which involved agony physically an agony spiritually. And he did this because he loved us to the uttermost. Unloving mankind, we were in poverty. Jesus came into that poverty so that we could become rich. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God. Hope of glory. Because as the Father, at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born among us. And then offered up his life 30 years later on a cross. It's the most wonderful message we could ever hear. We talk glibly of the Christmas spirit. 
rarely meaning more than the sentimental things that we experience, the fun-filled times together as families, feeling cheerful and enjoying ourselves around food and around presents. But what we have seen in the coming of Jesus makes it clear that this phrase should in fact carry a tremendous greater weight. The Christmas spirit, when seen in Christ, is a sacrificial, humbling, unselfish service and life-giving purpose for others. This kind of Christmas spirit ought to be our attitude, our temperament. It should be our purpose that we would benefit others as we have been benefited in the birth of Jesus. Remember Jesus' words in John chapter 20, verse 21. And again, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. For our benefit, Christ became poor at the first Christmas. And in following Christ in the Christmas spirit, we ought to be sacrificial unselfish servants to meet the needs of those around us in the name of Christ. Because that is carrying on the spirit of Jesus. So as we think of the meaning of of Christmas, we must see behind it that God has done something profound. In coming into our world, God has come to us in Jesus. In coming into our world, God has displayed for us love unfathomable. Because in the birth of Jesus, we see God's pursuit of us. We see God's entrance into our world to redeem us and to restore us. And then finally we see the blessing. That Jesus became poor for our benefit And as followers of Jesus, we can live in the right kind of spirit of Christmas, following our Lord and Savior Jesus, not thinking about ourselves, but benefiting those and caring for those, loving those in need, those all around us who need the expression of God's love. In a new book I've been reading, there is a little acrostic that kind of gives us instruction about how to think about being the people that share the goodness of the gospel, that share the good news of Jesus, uses the word bless. If you think about it, each letter represents something to do, to remember. Bless, be, begin with prayer. I'd encourage every one of us in the Christmas spirit and understanding all that we have received in the gift of God in Jesus to begin to think about the gift that God wants to give through us to those around us. And if we begin with prayer, we're beginning in the right way. So bless, begin with prayer. L is listen. People around you are important. People all around you. God is interested in. We must be interested in them as well. Listen. E is eat with them. Enjoy relationship with them. Spend time with them. This is with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. Begin to eat with people. Give of your time and your relationship to people. 
S, serve people. Demonstrate your love and your concern by doing something for people. And finally, the last S is share your story. Tell people about how Jesus has made a change in your life. And if we do that, that's the kind of Christmas spirit that we should be displaying through our lives. Because Jesus displayed that for us. And he is our one and only hope. Let's pray together. Lord, you are so good to us and gracious to us. You are merciful and loving and forgiving. And Lord, in your great gift to us of Jesus, we find all that we need for life and godliness and direction and hope and eternity. Jesus indeed is the light of life. And Lord, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus and we understand that his birth leads to his life, his teaching, his instruction, and then finally leading to his death and his resurrection. Lord, we behold the gift that you've given to us in Jesus. And Lord, you have communicated to us such love and such faithfulness, such goodness to us. We pray that as we ponder the birth of Jesus, that we will be filled with the wonder of your message, of your love, of your covenant faithfulness to us, that it will overflow in our relationships with people around us in this season and throughout the whole year. We pray that that would be so. In Jesus' name, amen.